Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit. Make your word not only alive to us, but intelligible to us. Lord, as you gave to the Apostle John this vision and revelation of what eternity will look like, Lord, I pray that you would have every person in this room leave here today with a little bit clearer picture of what eternity with you will be like. Lord, I pray for help as I preach. Lord, give me clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is about the journey, not about the destination. You've probably heard that before. Some of you might actually have that shirt. You know, life is good on one side and it says that on the back. Life is about the journey, not about the destination. And I like that philosophy. Um, I like it when it comes to road trips. You know, I really love to not have everything planned, but just to go and to explore things as they come up. Some of my favorite memories of our family vacation were things that were not on the agenda that we ended up doing. And it's also helpful for not being so focused on our goals in life and the next thing that's coming that we miss the lessons that are learned along the way. But here's what I want to propose in this sermon. That is not a very good philosophy for your your big picture life, the meta-narrative of your life. That life is not only about the journey, but it's also about the destination. And here's why I know this. And you know this as well. Actually, I don't think anybody in this room would disagree with this, what I'm about to say. Now, and this is pretty uh, surprising that there's something that we can all agree about, right? We live in a time where we disagree about lots of different things. We're going into July 4th weekend where we celebrate the freedom that we have as Americans to disagree about stuff, right? The freedom of speech. We can, you know, yell at each other and it's going to be okay. Nobody's, you know, nobody's going to get taken out by the government. This is great. But there's, this is something that we all agree about. And here it is. Are you ready? What I'm about to share with you, if you have not heard it before, I'm really sorry to break this news. You are going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Everybody in this room will one day die. Everybody we know will die. Super depressing, right? But it is one of those things that is absolutely sure about our life, that we are heading to a destination, and that destination is death. Um, so where do we go from there? The reason I say that is because the destination is important. The journey is important, but the destination is also really important. And the question that all of us that lingers in the back of our mind that we don't often bring to the front of our mind is what happens after we die? Is there anything after we die? Now, for Christians, you would say, you know, you believe in the idea of heaven. But I don't know about you guys, but I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about heaven. In fact, I was thinking back, apart from last week, this first sermon in this series, I don't think I've ever actually heard a sermon about heaven. And I've been a Christian now for 18 years. And I was thinking back to my seminary, and I was like, I remember maybe a 20-minute conversation we had about heaven. My guess is that most of us haven't thought much about heaven. And the few of us that have are probably those who have had a near-death experience. So we as a culture, we're kind of a death-denying culture, so we don't think about what happens after death. But then when we start to think, well, okay, is there a heaven? Then we start to think, well, is there any real proof of that? I don't really know. 
You know, can we really know that there's something after we die? Is there any clues for that? And then let's say we say, okay, yeah, I do think that there's a heaven. A lot of the people that I've talked to in preparation for this sermon and a lot of the books that I've read, many people say that when they think about heaven, the things they think about are that it's really confusing. Like, okay, are we going to have relationships in heaven? Am I going to recognize people? Like, am I going to be married in heaven? Uh, what, 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 you know, what are we going to do all day long? Um, so there's that sense of it's confusing or there's that sense of, uh, well, it's kind of so detached in my mind from my current reality that it doesn't have any relevance for my life here and now. Like a lot of times, even though I know better, the thought that comes to mind of heaven is like baby angels flying around and me sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And I, it worries me because I don't play the harp and I'm wondering, like, are there harp instructions when we get there? Um, but there's, so there's this, it's confusing. Uh, it seems disconnected from our reality. And then there's the fact that a lot of times the pictures that we think of of heaven seem kind of boring. They seem boring. I want to read this. One writer said this. He says, when I was a boy, the thought of heaven used to frighten me more than the thought of hell. He said, I pictured heaven as a place where time would be perpetual Sundays with perpetual services from which there would be no escape. <laughs> right? We might not be that honest, um, especially not with the preacher, but we can think, man, that just seems kind of boring. And then the other question that lurks beneath it all, if you're like, yeah, I do think that there's a heaven, I do have a couple pictures, is this. How do I know that when I die, I'm going to get there? Is there any real way that I can know that when I die on my deathbed, whenever that is, that I'll go into the presence of God? So that's what we're going to be talking about in this sermon. We're going to be looking at, and what we're going to try to do today is two things. I'm going to try to give you a couple proofs about heaven, and then we're going to be looking at a couple pictures of heaven. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you all of your answers about heaven, uh, all of your questions about heaven will not be answered by the end of the sermon. Um, so know this, my goal is to try to make it a little bit more clear for you. And the next week, I'm going to try to make it a little bit more clear for you. And I want to give you a heads up on this right now. Two things. Right after this service, we're going to have a question and answer session. If you have burning questions or if I brought up something and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that or I've got further questions, we're going to have a question and answer session right over here. We'll just turn a couple chairs around in a circle and we'll talk about it. The second thing is I want to give you a resource. This is a book by a guy named Randy Alcorn called, of all things, Heaven. Um, I wonder where he got that name. Uh, so my mom gave me this book five years ago for Christmas. And to be honest, uh, on the front of it, there's this bridge, um, then this like nice, beautiful little creek. And I just thought like this book has to be lame. Like no offense, mom, this book has to be lame. And to add injury to insult, I just thought to myself, this is bad. This is judgy. But I was like, can any good theology come from a guy named Randy, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like my name, <laughs> my name's Dan. I know I have no future in theology. Like nobody's going to buy a book by somebody named Dan. But here's the deal. What I want to let you know, the guy's name is Randy Alcorn. So think acorn, but Alcorn. Um, Randy Alcorn. This is a incredibly uh, well-researched book. It's, a uh, it's incredibly deep. It draws from all these different uh, biblical backgrounds as well as different theologians. But here's the, here's the amazing and rare thing about this book is it's incredibly accessible. 
that if, you're, if you haven't gotten a degree in theology, you can read it and get a lot from it. And you don't have to read the whole thing because, I mean, to be honest, you know, that's a pretty big book. Um, you can go to just, you can jump around because there's question and answer. So I wanted to give you a couple resources so if I pique your curiosity going into this sermon, you can follow up uh, with a book. And if you, have, if you have questions, feel free, we can sit down. So what I want to do today is this. I want to convince you that life is not just about the journey, it's also about the destination. And that strength for the journey actually comes from the destination. That's my main point, that strength for the journey comes from the destination. That if you're going through something challenging right now, if you can think about where you're going to be spending eternity and get a picture in your mind, it'll actually help you get through what you're going through. So, first we're going to be looking at proofs of heaven. So, the two questions with the proof of heaven is, is there any actual proof of heaven? Secondly is, is there any proof that we can know that we're going to go to heaven when we die? So, I want to break the news to you. I am not going to be able in this sermon to give you any indisputable evidence for the fact that there will definitely be heaven after you die because it's a spiritual thing. We can't test scientifically what is going to happen after we cease to exist physically on this earth. It's a spiritual thing. But what I want to suggest is that there are hints of heaven. And we know that there are hints of heaven because we have these moments of inexplicable wonder in our lives when we fall in love for the first time. When we see down the aisle our bride coming towards us. Or when we see down the aisle our groom waiting at the end of the aisle for us to come down. When we hold our child in our hands for the first time, there's this joy and wonder and it's like the heavens open up. Or when you're listening to a, a song or you're looking at a piece of art or you're out in nature and it's not just like that is objectively beautiful that something open up, opens up in your heart. And in these moments we're hit with such beauty that we sense that there's got to be something more. There's got to be something transcendent. There's got to be something spiritual in this world. And I want to share a reflection from a guy who uh, He's not a believer, but that illustrated this sense of transcendence at a point in his life. This guy's name is Lord Kenneth Clark. Uh, he's one of Great Britain's most prominent art historians. He's now dead. Um, and I watched his video. Uh, he had a mini-series called Civilization. And I watched it in my AP world history class. And it was the perfect, perfect mini-series to fall asleep to. Um, it was him talking in front of, the, and he had, it had all this great information. At that point in my life, I didn't really care about art. But he was, was a renowned art historian, one of the greatest ones uh, of his day. And he says this in his uh, autobiography. He said this, I had a religious experience. He said, I was in the church of San Lorenzo, but it was not connected to the beauty of the architecture. He said, I can only say that for a few minutes, my whole being was radiated with a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I had ever experienced before. He said, this lasted for several minutes, but wonderful as it was, it posed to me an awkward problem in terms of action. He said, my family life was far from blameless. I would have to reform. My family would think I was going mad, and perhaps after all, 
It was a delusion for, listen to this, for I was in every way unworthy of such a flood of grace. And he said, gradually the effect wore off and I made no effort to retain it. I think I, I was too deeply embedded in this world to change course. But I had felt the finger of God, I am quite sure. And although the memory of this experience has faded, it helps me to understand the joy of the saints. All of us have those moments. Philosophers call it this whoosh, where all of a sudden something is uncovered in our lives. And we start to ask the question, there's maybe more to life than this. That maybe there's more meaning that my destiny can't just be heading towards my body rotting and then the earth burning up and, I'm sorry, the sun burning up and the earth becoming dust. There's got to be more. We have these moments. This guy had this moment. And this story breaks my heart because he experienced heaven breaking into earth, God reaching out to him in this flow of grace. But he realized, man, I'm not ready to change. And so he ignored it. And C.S. Lewis says this, all of your life is an unattainable ecstasy that has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming where you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it or else that it was within your reach and you've lost it forever. So there's no absolute proof of heaven, but what I want to say is that there's hints of heaven in our experience that point to two things. That you were made for a person and you were made for a place. You were made for a person, Jesus Christ, that God made you to have a relationship with him and that you were made for a place, heaven, eternity, with God. And so what I want to look at next is, we looked a little bit at the proof. I want to look at the, that person of Jesus and then I want to look at the place. So the first question is that you might be saying is, okay, you've, you've piqued my curiosity. All right, if there is a heaven, how do I know that when I die, I'm going to get there? Can I know on my deathbed, whenever that is, that I will be able to go into the presence of God? Now, I want to say that the Bible clearly says, yes, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you will go into the presence of God. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up now to the text. Revelation 21. This is Revelation 21. So all the way at the very end, um, and we are going to look at Starting in verse 6. Right before in verse 5, he tells John, God tells John, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He's saying, you need to know that this is trustworthy and true. These are especially trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And then it jumps down in verse 8 and says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Yeah, that's depressing. Um, so that begs the question. Two things happen after we die, according to the scripture. We can either go to be with God for eternity or we can go out of the presence of God for eternity. 
That's what this tells us. So how do we know that we can go to be with the presence of God? Go be in the presence of God for eternity. And the hint for that comes when, right down in verse 6 where it says this. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the thirsty I will give from the water of life without payment. So what he's saying is the people that go into my presence are the thirsty people. And they're like, okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm not really thirsty right now. I just had some water on the way in here. Um, what is he talking about? So if you go all the way back to John 4, you remember that story of the woman, on the well, woman at the well? The Samarian woman, Samaritan woman who was, uh, she came and, and uh, Jesus came to her in the middle of the day came to this well, and he said, can you give me something to drink? And she said, I'm a Samaritan woman. If you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me for water. Now Jesus, what we find out later in the story is that she had had five husbands, and the guy that she was with was no longer, was not her husband. And so she would not pass this test that we see in verse 8. If it was about being good, she wouldn't pass the test. And then Jesus goes to her and says this. And this is, he's starting to unpack how we get eternity. He says, if you knew the gift of God, the gift of God, focus on that. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus kind of says, there's a gift. And I, I can give you that gift and that gift is living water. And the woman says, where do you get the living water? And Jesus says this, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here's what you need to know. That Jesus is the source of eternal life. A lot of times, the, the, the thought that's out there is, how do I get to heaven I got to be a good person. I got to do the right things. Now, I want you to hear in this passage that that is not, that's not biblical. That's not the gospel. What Jesus says is this. You don't have to do the right things because it is done. That Jesus did the right things. He lived the perfect life died on the cross, and rose again, ascended to heaven, preparing a place for us for eternity. And all that we have to do is be thirsty. So being a Christian is not about being a good person. It's about being a thirsty person. It's recognizing that I don't have what I need for this spring of eternal life to well up within me. I have to get it from Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking? Because none of anything that I'm going to say in the rest of the sermon is going to be pertinent to you if you don't get that. The way to the place, heaven is through the person of Jesus. And all we have to do is place our trust in him, thirst for him, to say, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. And he says, welcome to my kingdom. And we can know deep down, and you might be saying, well, you know, Jesus kind of wants to leave it somewhat vague to try to motivate us. No, that's not what he wants. He wants us to know deep down that we're going to be with him forever. And John in his epistle says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us, gift, eternal life, and this life is in his son. 
Listen, he says, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So he's trying to be crystal clear, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's all about what Jesus has done, not what we do. All right, is everybody tracking at this point? All right, so I've tried to give some hints of proofs of heaven in our experience. I've tried to show in this passage that, that we can know, we can have proof that we will be with God forever. And it's simply this, Jesus, have mercy. I thirst for you. I'm not enough. All right. Finally, I want to look at this picture that God begins to paint. I'm going to start painting this picture today. We're going to finish painting it next week. This is what Jesus says. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is in verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We're just going to stop there because I don't have enough time to unpack all the rest of that passage. He talks about three things. The first heaven and the first earth. And new heaven and new earth. So technically four things. Um, He says this. The first heaven, which is the present heaven, which is where we will go when we die. That's an intermediate state. That if you and I died on the ride home today and then Jesus hadn't come back, we would go to heaven. We would go to the first, this, this first heaven. That's the present heaven that's going on um, in God's presence right now. And that, in that place, what we know is that Jesus at the thief on the cross says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That it will be paradise compared to what we go through here. And we'll be conscious. We'll be in Jesus' presence. We don't know exactly what that, that will be like, except we know that there's not going to be any more physical pain. We know that there's not going to be any more emotional pain. So the moment that you die, if you are in Christ, what will happen is all of the pain of this life. Emotional pain, if you struggle with depression, anxiety, broken relationships, things that have just torn you up inside. When you go to be with Jesus when you die, that will all be gone. Physical pain. Some of us have backaches. It was interesting preaching to um, the 9 o'clock service and the 11 o'clock service because they're different demographics. A lot of us think, yeah, I'm pretty healthy. I don't have that much physical pain. But some of us really struggle with real physical pain or real disabilities. And what the scriptures promise is that all the pain that we feel will go away. And we won't feel pain anymore. Physical pain when we go to be with Jesus. So, that's what the present heaven is going to be like. Now, you might be like, what? what? Okay, so is there a future heaven? Yes, this is what I want to let you know. So, the present earth, as we know it, with all of, under the curse of sin, will no longer be when Jesus remakes the heaven and earth. Now, I want to give you a quick illustration to help you understand what I mean by this. So, when we die, we will depart this earth with all of the pain and suffering that we go through because of the curse of sin. And we'll go to be in heaven, which will, which will be like a paradise. And to give you an example of the difference, uh, my wife and I were down in Green Cove Springs a couple weeks back, and we were pushing our son on uh, Uh, the swings and next to us there was a number of kids that were speaking in a different language and they came over and asked hey can you help lift up my son onto the swing or one of the little brothers onto the swing and I said yeah sure and 
I was like, hey, so what language are you guys speaking? And I say, they were like, we're speaking Arabic. And I was like, wow, cool. Like, that's really cool. Where are you from? And they said, we're from Syria. And I said, whoa, cool. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're refugees here in, <laughs> in Spring Park, right? Um, uh, it's a small world after all. Um, and they told, and I said, well, you know, yeah, you know, tell me, how do you like it in America? They're like, we love it. And I said, tell me, like, you know, what was it like in Syria? And they said, you know, it was really, it was war-torn. It was terrible. It was really hard for a family. Bombs were going off. It was just a, a really hard place. And then we went to the refugee camp. And we had meals, and we were safe, and it was wonderful. And so I want you to imagine the present state that we're in. There's, there's wonders to the, to the creation that we currently live in, the present earth that we live in, but there's also lots of heartache and pain. When we go to be with Jesus in the present heaven, it will be like that refugee going from a war zone to a camp where you're safe, things are wonderful, you don't have to worry about all these different things. But in our minds, that's what most of us think when we think of heaven, right? We think of clouds. But that's not the full picture of what Revelation says that history is moving towards because God is going to come down and make a new heavens and a new earth. And that's like those kids thinking, could it get any better than being in a refugee camp and not being in war? And then they said, then we came to America and it's amazing. We don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about people stealing anything. But my point isn't that like when we get to heaven, it's going to be like a refugee camp. If that's what you're hearing, that's not what I'm saying. My point is <laughs> that life on earth right now it's hard. There's some wonders to it, but there's also some great challenges to it. When we get to, to the present heaven, when we die, we will be in an infinitely greater place. But then when Jesus remakes the heaven and the earth, we will be in another infinitely greater place than even the present heaven. So you might be saying, well, is this biblical? You know, Dan, Mike goes out of town. Is Dan preaching heresy? Um, <laughs> so... I want to say this. Then I saw, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So you see the first heaven and the first earth pass away, and Jesus, God, makes a new heaven and a new earth. Now scholars disagree on whether the old heaven and the whole earth are totally going to be destroyed, and he's going to make a totally new thing, or whether he's going to take the great things from the new heaven and the new earth and bring them into eternity. Now, you could, you, we could go back and forth on that. I don't want to waste time on that. If you're interested in that, talk to me after the service. What I want you to know is this. Oftentimes when we think of heaven, we just think about a spiritual state. But where eternity is heading, when Jesus comes back, now follow me here, when Jesus comes back, where eternity is heading, we will not just be spiritual beings. We will also be physical beings on a physical earth. Did you catch that? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about having resurrection bodies. That we will have these bodies that no longer age. So if you're trying to hold on to your beauty and you're saying, ah oh, man, you don't have to worry about that anymore. If you're struggling with physical pain, you will not have any more physical pain. If you're struggling with emotional pain, you won't have any more of that. You'll have these renewed, restored minds and bodies. There was a man that walked out after the uh, 745 service, and he said, thank you for your sermon. That really spoke to me. And he's got one leg. That means he's going to be able to run again. He's going to have no more pain in that leg. 
So we're going to have a physical body and we're going to be on a physical earth. And what that means is all of the wonders that we love, that we're like, I don't want to go to heaven. There are not going to be mountains there. You know, there's not going to be music there. There's not going to be art there. No, all of those things that God has made, all those good things are going to be even more glorious. That we're going to be able to see more colors. We're going, that everything that God has made is going to be far more glorious in this renewed earth. So my hope for you today is that I begin to open up a picture that you won't say, well, earth just seems more fun than heaven. No. Heaven will be infinitely greater. This, this new heavens and new earth will be infinitely greater than life on earth. Now why, do I, why am I trying to make this point so strongly? The reason is this. Because we can oftentimes get into this kind of slumber mindset that it's about the journey, not about the destination. Yes, it's about the journey, but the destination is what gives us strength for the journey. It's when we can begin to get a picture of eternity that we can walk through with confidence and courage and strength and perseverance all the challenges that we face in the here and now. And I want to close with this story. In 1952, a woman named Florence Chadwick uh, was swimming from Catalina Island to California. It's over 20 miles. She was the first woman, woman to sw swim the English Channel. And so she decided she's going to swim. And as she began to swim, a large fog came over the waters that she was swimming. And the fog was so heavy and it began to be cold that she couldn't even see the boats that were just right outside of her reach. And she was swimming and swimming and swimming. And she said that um, she was growing so exhausted that she was ready to give up. And she could hear her mom. She said, I'm, I'm, I think I'm done. I'm done. And her mom said, keep going. You got it out of the fog. She could hear her. Keep going. She, keep going. And finally, after 15, over 15 hours of swimming, she gave up. She got into the boat and they told her, you're only a half mile from shore. And the next day in the news conference, she said, all I could see was the fog. If I could have seen the shore, I know I could have kept going. It is the destination that gives us strength for the journey. So if you haven't thought about heaven, pick up this book. Come back next week. Begin to think about it. Begin to hear what the Bible says about it. Because it's the destination that gives us strength for the journey. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that we can know that we will be with you for eternity. Lord, I pray that through your scriptures, you would paint for us a picture of eternity that's compelling enough to give us strength for what we're going to face when we walk outside these doors. In Jesus' name, amen.